Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. My co-host for today is a wonderful film mind and someone steeped in so, so, so much film. Their official job title is Senior Programming Operations Coordinator for the Tribeca Film Festival. They are also part of the International Narrative Features Screening Committee. And, and because the programming life never stops, uh, they are also a new fest programmer and film critic. So, Cyrus Cohen, what else do the people need to know about you before we get underway today? What are their vital bits of biography? Not very much. That was wonderful. Thank you so much. I feel like you made me sound much, much better than I am. So I appreciate (laughs) it. Well, great. And I, we both are very excited to talk about the, the, the character in the film that you've brought today. So why don't we just kick it off straight away? And why don't you tell me the character that you brought for us to discuss today? Sounds good. I've brought Joy Wang slash Jobu Tupaki (laughs) from the critically acclaimed and at the same time, highly divisive, um, 2022 film, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Did you know going into this that this was a little gay story? I was so pleasantly surprised and taken aback in the theater when I was like, wait, what now? I didn't realize this was part of it. So I saw the film much after the huge moment that it had when it released, I want to say in March. Mm. I think that I saw it maybe like, three or four months afterwards. Mm-hmm. I'm not very good at staying on top of new releases. Um, and with COVID and everything, I just haven't been to the theater as much. But by that time, I did know that there was queerness here. I had seen that Tali Metal was a part of the cast, non-binary icon. Um, Steph Shu is queer. Um, so I was excited to, with at least no other knowledge about what the story was going to be that we had queer and trans actors and queer characters was that was very cool Mm -hmm. we don't always get that and so when you finally got to that time you said it got to be like this intimate experience just for yourself and so how was that for you emotionally on first cried cried so much so many times i cried um Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know i heard that obviously that was that was what people were saying was (laughs) i saw this movie and i cried five times in the theater and you have to go see it too um (laughs) And so I was prepared for that to an extent, but I really didn't expect it to go in the directions it did Mm -hmm. and address the issues that it did. And I was pleasantly surprised because I don't really see a lot of depictions of mental illness that feel really nuanced and thoughtful and Mm -hmm. challenging um, and depictions of a unique mother-daughter relationship or any parent-child relationship that exists kind of between toxic and supportive. Mm -hmm. And that feels like so many of our actual relationships, but usually in film we either see it's totally toxic or it's totally supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, And that growth of the character of Evelyn um, is special. But all of it, I feel like, comes back... To, to the character of Joy. Um, and without every little tiny thing that is in the script and that Stephanie Shu brings to the script, it, it definitely wouldn't have worked in the same way that it did for me. I think some parts of it may have felt flat or may have felt, I don't know, tokenizing or kind of using a queer character as, as a crutch or a prop for the growth of this um, their straight parent. Um, but no, Joy and Jobu are so complicated and beautiful and beautifully complicated that <laughs> 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 um, they really become kind of the center of the movie. And I keep coming back to these images of Stephanie either surrounded by the bagel in the end yeah. or when she's introduced, staring into the the washing machine that is visually evoking the bagel. Mm-hmm. And it's just, she's in the center. She is the center of this movie being sucked into it. And, and I'm just so captivated by what they were able to do with this character. As it was going on, were you feeling the resonance so strongly with Joy? Or did it really lock in when the Jobu Topaki compliment to Joy was introduced? There are definitely parallels between Joy and myself, kind of 
certain, not kind of, yes, uh, very depressed. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, queer Asian American people. Mm-hmm. I'm Japanese. Her character is Chinese. So there's definitely divergence mm-hmm. in our stories um, and in our parents' stories. My dad is white. Mm-hmm. Ki Huai Kwan is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are aspects of our lives that are very, very different. Um, but yeah, I definitely picked up on a lot in the little things that Stephanie's doing, the way in which her character is trying to hide how she really feels from her parents. I think about the opening scene in the laundromat. She's saying all these things to Becky, not really thinking that her par- her mom is listening, but she is. You look really pretty right now. Oh, you like this, this hot Mormon look? <laughs> I'm just telling you now in case my mom says something dumb like you're fat or whatever. I thought you said when she says shit like that, it means she cares. Hi, Evelyn. Mrs. Wong. Hey, Mom. I only cook enough food for three people. Now I have to cook more. And it felt very close to my experience navigating depression. And it's not that I necessarily thought that my parents would have a bad reaction to me expressing mental health issues, but more so, I don't really want to worry them. I don't want this to be their thing. Um, And there are these, like so many layers of um, whether it's guilt or fear or doubt um, that can really easily creep in when you have such a kind of regimented structure of like, this is how family life is. This is what we do and don't talk about. Um, And then when Jobu came in, at first I definitely didn't know what to, how to process it, but then realized this is, utter genius and is giving us so much more depth to this character that's also so real like Mm -hmm. yes I'm a depressed 20 something but I'm also in my head a supermodel and I'm (laughs) a pop star and I'm a mass murderer I love that sequence when Jobu's walking and she starts uh in her like bagel universe of all white and then she goes into the green outfit that she kills Wayman in. Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> if you haven't watched the movie, you shouldn't be listening to this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then she's like wielding an axe and killing all these people before going to like suburban mom who's yeah. putting something in her uh, grocery cart. And that spoke to like the myriad of personas that we all have in ourselves and these fantasies of what we could be if just a few things were different in our lives, if we had made different choices at different times and decided to embrace certain parts of ourselves. Joy? Why do you look so stupid? Ma'am, you and your pig can't be here. Is it that I can't be here? Or that I'm not allowed <sighs> to be here. Hey, Okay. Hands See, right I can physically be here. But what you meant to say is you're not allowing me to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Hands behind your back. Come on. Well, it's like women. You're gonna make me walk through you. <laughs> Yeah, you can't let you do that either. You with the cat! See, I don't think you understand the meaning of that word. I felt something unique seeing somebody so flawed and at the same time so confident, so um, assured of themselves, even while the center of the movie is about their insecurities and fears and nihilism and depression, they're also totally owning this, this every single scene that they're in. Yeah, Jobu, Jobu is Jobu is glamorous. Jobu Topaki, extremely. like you said, is, is a is a pop star. Like Jobu pulls kind of everything. They're the vanishing point of every scene because you can't really stop looking at Stephanie Shu as this character. Would 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 we accurately say that this is an alternate timeline version of Joy, or is this sort of like? the every timeline, like, meta version of Joy? I go back and forth. And the one thing that I find very interesting is names. And the fact that all the other characters, they're Alpha Waymond, Alpha Gong Gong, 
um, they refer to all the Evelyns. Mm-hmm. You're the, of all the Evelyns I've seen, you're one of the weirdest or whatever the line is. But she's not Alpha Joy, she's Joe Butupaki. And right. that serves a narrative function to obviously hide or withhold the identity of the big bad of the movie. Um, so for at least an hour or so, you can think, maybe Jamie Lee Curtis is the villain or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I see Joe Butupaki as kind of as the a pop star in another world. It's an alter ego. Mm-hmm. She's Madonna. She's Cher. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's also assembling a cult who are um, fully on board with her philosophy and theory and power um, of the emptiness of the world mm-hmm. and the truth of the bagel. Because um, <laughs> you see, when you really put everything on a bagel, it becomes this. Come on. Come on, Evelyn. The truth. What is the truth? Nothing matters. Oh, Joy. You don't believe that? Feels nice, doesn't it? If nothing matters, then all the pain and guilt you feel for making nothing of your life goes away. And so I I do think that the line between Jobu and Joy is maybe the most tenuous Mm -hmm. of all of them. We see conversations that... Um, Evelyn and Jobu have that then Evelyn and Joy are having. Mm -hmm. And she's even using the same language. She's saying things like, um, maybe it's like you said, um, that there's something that will make us feel like even smaller pieces of shit. And the the first part of that, maybe like Mm -hmm. you said, is what keeps going through my head. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Evelyn realizes that everything that Jobu has shown over the past hour and 30 minutes of screen time is joy and that joy is Jobu Tupaki. Um, and she definitely takes time to come to that realization. But I think once she does, she realizes that this isn't a big, bad monster trying to ruin the world. This is my daughter who's mm-hmm. navigating tough questions and a very scary world and doesn't feel supported in it. And that's when I think things begin to change. Yeah, I, I, I still don't fully know for sure yeah. these are separate people, they're the same person, but I do think that they're essentially the same. Mm-hmm. And they're essentially the same to Evelyn, which feels like the most important part. Yeah. I think that I, I liked what you said about like when you mentioned how like this this movie deals with mental health and like and then how you talked about like Jobu is is a mess and destructive and nihilistic and fabulous and gorgeous and you know, compelling. And it really it made me think of the sort of, not in a bad, I don't say this in a bad way, but like the sort of uh, social mediafication, perhaps TikTokification of the way people discuss their own mental health, that there's a kind of like, there can be like a playfulness and a sort of glibness to these really heavy pieces of subject matter. Like I was, I was looking through videos the other day of um, a bimbo influencer. She is the queen of the bimbos. I guess I should shout her out, Chrissy Shlopeka. Uh I had never seen her stuff know. before, but a friend was like, you need to see this girl because she is bimbo representation. And <laughs> in one of her videos, it's just like, she's always done up. She's always like candy colored glam. And it's like negative 40 in Chicago. And she's outside in a bikini kind of situation talking about what it means to be a bimbo. And then I found this one video of her just like clearly like forward facing camera in her car where I think it looked like in her car. And she's just like, The thing about me is that, like, I know that I'm, like, perfect and amazing and gorgeous, but that I'm also, like, the worst and a piece of shit and, like, the most terrible thing in the world. And I think that's great. And just, like, that, watching people talk about their their own mental health is just, like, listen, hot girl depression, okay? In this, like, this extremely 2023 way, I... I want to hear your thoughts on that as somebody who sounds like they're identifying with this character who's ready to leap into the bagel of oblivion. Like, what do you think about that kind of vernacular around 
around that kind of conversation. I'm I'm so interested. I think it's kind of a product of the times. And as you mentioned, the technologies that we have and the cultures that exist there, but also the world is like a hard place to exist in today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure the world was a hard place to exist in throughout history. Yeah. <laughs> and, but especially so now as you constantly see news reports of we need to stop the planet from warming by one degree or we're all going to die. Yeah. Not Daily atrocity words, but, waterfall. <laughs> yeah, essentially constant stream of bad news after bad news after bad news. And it's understandable to want to kind of process that with humor or levity mm-hmm. um, or to still acknowledge the seriousness of the situation, but to almost defang it. And mm-hmm. like, if I'm joking about this, it can't hurt me, mm-hmm. um, even though we know it obviously can. And I do definitely see some of that in Jobu with, as you said, she's decked out in candy colored pop attire, mm-hmm. pop star attire all the time. Um, but what she's trying to do over the course of this whole entire movie is explain to her mom how depressed she is to get her mom to see mm-hmm. the world the way that she sees it and ultimately to kill herself. Like, it's yeah. not a fun time with the girls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> with the girlies deep, deep dark like parental trauma <laughs> being confronted in in yeah 2023 mm-hmm. kind of lingo and dressed up in a a nice fun way but the seriousness of it is definitely still there and it certainly felt in the third act um i think up until that point you get bits here and there of mm-hmm the weight of all of this emotionally, but it really isn't until you see her trying to get into a black hole Mm -hmm. and yelling at her mom in a parking lot um, that all of it really sinks in, that this isn't a fun universe jumping sci-fi, like good time. Yeah. It's, it's it's dark. Um, That character is so unique to me to have a villain who's not there to kill the rest of the world as everybody thinks that she is. She's not there to conquer these universes. Um, She just wants to to show her mom something. Mm -hmm. And it's something dark and awful and um, potentially traumatizing. She's showing her like the awfulness of the world, stare into the bagel. And I was thinking to myself, like, is the bagel a metaphor for trauma or is the act of staring into the bagel and seeing the everythingness of the world traumatizing? Um, (laughs) (laughs) And you have the visual visual allegory of, or maybe not visual allegory, but you have at least the visual demarcation of the black eye um, that you see in the flashback of Jobu doing training. um, And then you start to see in Evelyn when she stares into the bagel. Um, and it is like, to me, it's like, oh, the bagel is depression. Like, I'm going to show you what trauma brain is like. Yeah. And like, that is such a dark thing to do to anybody, but especially (laughs) to your mother. But also is kind of the only thing that she really knows how to do. This is like the only thing that's going to work. This is the only thing that can show my mom what I actually feel and experience Mm -hmm. is to let her experience all of it. Um, And it makes her into this, yeah, cavalier individual who doesn't care about getting her taxes done, even if it means she'll be arrested and have her assets repossessed. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Like that whole sequence where she's just doing kind of shitty things because she can. Yeah. um, Is the aftermath of trauma. Is people Mm -hmm. behaving badly and being sometimes the worst versions of ourselves to others, because when we're going down, we're going to drag other people down with us. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you identify with? Do you feel oh, the... totally. Okay. Beyond the self-destructive <laughs> impulse, the sort of cluster bomb destructive impulse. Yeah. I mean, I've had some very dark moments throughout, like, since I was very young. Um, and in those kind of, in those headspaces you're not concerned about the well-being of other people because you're not concerned about the well-being of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in a place where, yeah, you're you're willing to do and say anything. Mm-hmm. If it means, like, I don't have to work harder to hide this part of myself and to perform 
mental wellness for other people. I'm going to be my authentic self. And if my authentic self in this moment is rude or mean or cruel, even that that's all you kind of really can think to do in those moments. Mm -hmm. Um, And for it to ultimately be that the, the solution, not solution. I don't want to (laughs) gloss over things so easily, but maybe a solution in this moment is to fight the way that Wayman does and to bring this levity and joy back um, to this, to joy. Um, <laughs> and that, yeah, ultimately, yes, we're all going to die and the world will probably eventually fizzle out and we'll all go extinct or something. Mm-hmm. But we're here now and we may as well make the best of it um, and enjoy each other and be truly happy while we can. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a sappy kind of message that I think <laughs> As is somebody part who of is why... pure sincerity, <laughs> I appreciate a sappy message. Absolutely. No irony this... here. <laughs> Someone who's more, uh, maybe more in the ironic side of things. <laughs> I also appreciate that here. And I also understand why some people don't. And that it may not be the message that everybody needs or wants. But for me... It was very special just to be reminded of the little things, of the joy of googly eyes, of, <laughs> yeah. of your fun Those dad. little rocks talking! Oh my god! <laughs> yes, even if they're talking about like how insignificant we are in the grand scheme of things and all of the planets that do not have life on them, <laughs> um, it's still fun and enjoyable and sweet. Um, and for a movie that is so much about these heavy topics, I do think that ending on a positive note is what we really need. <laughs> I know you're all fighting because you're scared and confused. I'm confused too. All day. I don't know what the heck is going on. But somehow, it feels like it's all my fault. I don't know. The only thing I do know is that we have to be kind. Please, be kind. Especially when we don't know what's going on. I see a lot of my father in Waymond and somebody who really like tries to lift me up when I'm down and remind me that things aren't that serious. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay. Um, and I see a lot of my mom and Evelyn as well. Again, like there's vast differences in life stories and experiences. Um, but just seeing a Asian woman over the age of 50 exercise all of these skills that she's honed over the court of her, such an illustrious career. Yeah. I'm like, my mother is like the most multi-talented human ever and the most <laughs> modest person. Mm-hmm. My mom's a real estate agent. She doesn't like, she's not a showy lady. But my mom, <laughs> she was a glass blower and a fashion designer. My mom sings opera. Wow. My mom is like the greatest cook and a magnificent writer. Um, I have seen just, about. I've seen you posting about her bringing you musubi when you don't feel good. Yeah, like that's the most delicious thing a person could bring somebody. Yes, she brings me little wonderful treats and <laughs> makes my day so much brighter and better. Um, and like I haven't necessarily had all of the deep talks with my parents about my mental health state at various times in my life for a variety of reasons, but in the moments when I do. It's so important. I just feel very heard and seen by them. Mm. And like my mom is not, again, my mom's not Evelyn. She does not, has never spoken to me the way that Evelyn speaks to Joy in the <laughs> opening of that movie. Uh-huh. Our, yeah. <laughs> we do not have that hurdle to get over. Okay, but <laughs> that's nice. The, the Evelyn in the third act is how I see my mom. Um, oh. As just, yeah, somebody with so much power and knowledge and a lifetime of skills but ultimately what matters most is her children Mm -hmm. and that 
for these little specks of time, she will savor them and she will mm-hmm. savor um, being here together. I keep thinking about the opening scene of the movie, which I oftentimes forget is what the, it starts off with, but it's mm-hmm. the three of them singing karaoke in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's like happiness. That is what they're fighting for is their family unit and being able to smile together. Mm-hmm. Um, and not everything has to be perfect, but you're being imperfect together. And that's mm-hmm. what matters. We're going to take a quick break, but we have lots more to talk about with Cyrus Cohen. Then I'll have one quick thing before I go about um, horror and comedy and being on NPR's Morning Edition. So listen to me talk about me at the end of the episode. I'm Jordan Morris. And I'm Jesse Thorne. On Jordan Jesse Go, we make pure, delightful nonsense. We rope in awesome guests and bring them down to our level. We got stupid with Judy Greer. My friend Molly and I call it having the space weirds. Pat Oswalt. Can I get a Balrog burger and some Aragorn fries? Thank you. And Kumail Nanjiani. I've come back with cat toothbrushes, which is impossible to use. Come get stupider with us at MaximumFun.org. Look, your podcast app's already open. Just pull it out. Give Jordan Jesse Go a try. Being smart is hard. Be dumb instead. Hi, I'm Hal Loveland. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. And we're the hosts of We Got This with Mark and Hal, the weekly show where we settle the debates that are most important to you. That's right. What arguments are you and your friends having that you just can't settle? Apples or oranges? Marvel or DC? Fork versus spoon? Chocolate or vanilla? Best bagel? What's the best Disney song? We Got This with Mark and Hal. Every week on Maximum Fun, we do the arguing so you don't have to. Oh, all answers are final for all people for all time. We got this! Welcome back to Feeling Scene. I'm here talking with film critic and festival director and programmer Cyrus Cohen. They've brought the Oscar-nominated performance of Stephanie Hsu as Joy and Jobu Tupaki in the multiverse-spanning everything, everywhere, all at once. So let's jump back in to any universe with Stephanie Hsu in it. As somebody who has made their career film and film curation and ingesting huge amounts of it, it's, a, you know, it's criticism, but also being a programmer, like, you're watching things that, I mean, you're, like, for you to watch everything everywhere a little bit down the line, that stands in contrast to you, like, seeing most things before anybody even knows they exist. And I, you know, it's such a commitment to curate these kinds of, these kinds of festivals, these kinds of events. When did you start gravitating towards movies as something that would be so definitive in your life? And and what was part of that traveling toward film? Um, I started watching movies pretty intensely when I, I want to say I was in middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were movies that I shouldn't have been watching. <laughs> My first movie I've... memory is of Hellraiser when I was like five. So like, I, I hear you. Mine weren't more, mine weren't necessarily like, uh, horror which I really didn't touch for a very long time it was very horror versus as a child which stands in stark contrast to me now I adore <laughs> it um but I watched these like very heady European dramas and American <laughs> dramas uh. that I just shouldn't have watched them like adults issues <laughs> I watched Closer by Mike Lee um, is it by Mike Lee no it's by Mike Nichols um Mike Nichols yeah that's how I learned a certain a certain bad word that I won't say on this podcast <laughs> I don't know how monetization works I don't want to get you in trouble And when I watched these movies as maybe like a 14-year-old, I didn't like them. Mm. Um, I watched Dogtooth around the same time. Very intense Yorgos Lanthimos uh, (laughs) thriller-ish, experimental uh, family dynamic. And I hated that movie. Again, because I was 14. I love that you're watching all these movies where you're like, God, movies fucking suck, honestly. Movies suck. But I kept watching them. I was like, well, at least this is interesting. Um, And then as an adult, I haven't even really rewatched these movies all the way through. But Uh I love them. My memory of them has just improved. Um, But yeah, I had made it like my mission at a certain point that I was like, I'm going to watch all of the acting nominees for the Oscars. I made my list. 
And then I talked to my dad about it, and he's like, you know, a lot of those movies aren't very good. <laughs> and he's very right about that. <laughs> uh, and I started looking at other lists of, like, here are movies that are being evaluated solely on the fact that they're good, not mm-hmm. that there's good acting within them. Yeah. Um, and I think I like those a little bit more. <laughs> when did you start really seeking out queer cinema? Um, well, I mean, not until after I came out, which okay. would have been 16, 17, around then. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, it was a bit later. I mean, I watched some Xavier Dolan movies and was really impressed by Lawrence Anyways and Heartbeats. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was probably a seminal early moment. And then I started watching a lot of Derek Jarman's work. Um, looking more into the work of lesbian filmmakers as well. Mm. Um, and at a certain point, I was like, my film education has been really male. I'm just going to watch movies <laughs> by women. And it was a <laughs> wonderful decision. Um, and seeing work by like Claire Denis that exists in the homoerotic space that's mm-hmm. less textual and more subtextual um, was very special to start seeing a variety of queer cinema and ways of depicting queer cinema. Um, and then more recently, been exploring more and more trans filmmakers. Mm. And there are more and more trans filmmakers working now, so that's a wonderful time. I was going <laughs> to say, like, have you, is that something where, like, has there been an intention around seeking out trans filmmaking in the past and it, it's been more of, like, a scarce endeavor to unearth things, whereas now do you find that you have more proliferate options? Definitely. And it's wonderful to see to see bad trans films. I'm like, I'm so thankful that we get these as well. Like, cishets have had all the bad movies (laughs) over the course of cinema's history. And it's often felt like, oh, we have one bad one and that means that queer cinema is not profitable or trans cinema is not profitable and we don't want to make these anymore. And now to be able to have, like, schlocky, B-movie, messy deliciousness, Mm -hmm. oh, I love it. (laughs) Um, and to have the the you know prestigious beautiful timeless works as well Mm -hmm. um but to just be living in a time when now that there's there's range in in queer filmmaking but trans filmmaking more so because they've been there they just haven't really had a platform and now it feels like more people are learning about all of these wonderful trans filmmakers um, who've been doing really consistent work and are now getting the attention that they deserve. Do you, do you, uh, is there a delineation for you between queer cinema and gays on screen? Yes, there's definitely a difference. I mean, I think especially like I can look, point to heterosexual rom-coms that have a gay supporting character. Mm-hmm. That's not queer cinema. Yeah. It's not trying to be queer cinema either. Um, but I also think that gaze on screen, even when not queer cinema, is very valuable. And I'm also interested in that while considering it as a separate entity to queer Mm -hmm. cinema. Um, There's value in both, but I do think queer cinema should be at least for queer people. Mm -hmm. Um, Gaze on screen can exist for everyone. Yeah. Your straight uncle will enjoy Philadelphia <laughs> and learn a lot about about gay people uh, <laughs> or not. Yeah. Um, but that a lot of these movies have lessons that we already know. Mm-hmm. We don't need to be taught this by watching this movie. Right. Um, and I see a lot of films um, about violence towards queer people and that mm. presents it in a way that is quite gruesome and is there to shock and inspire pity. Mm. Um, and that I really see as, yeah, this is this is for straight people, this mm. is for cis people, queer and trans people don't wanna watch this generally. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are moments where violence can be used in really creative ways. And I think this film is kind of an example of it, mm. even though a lot of the violence isn't necessarily graphic, most of it's off screen. And I also think about Jobu, and the violence that she commits off screen is very interesting mm. that she has hunted her mom in all of these different universes yeah. and killed her in all of these different universes. <laughs> oh wow, God. Yeah. When you say it like yeah. that, <laughs> <laughs> like Evelyn has been, mur- when uh, Wayman says like in every other universe, you've been murdered. How did I die? 
I've seen you die a thousand ways and a thousand worlds. And every single one, you were murdered. What? Why would anybody want to kill me? She's an omniversal being with unimaginable power. An agent of pure chaos with no real motives or desires. Jobu Tabaki. You're just making up sounds. She's like, I'm going to kill every one of you, but before I do that, I'm going to show you the most traumatizing thing imaginable. And <gasps> hope that you that you teach me something, that you give me a reason to live. And I hope that you <laughs> hug me, that it's all of that in one, that it's like, I hate you, mom. You have like been so toxic in my life. <laughs> You're have, it seems like in the Alphaverse, really abused her and pushed her to the limits, beyond the limits. Um and in so many of those worlds, I think she's getting revenge and she's getting back at her. But yeah. at the heart of it all, she's also looking for her mom to give her a reason to live. Um, and that it is the one, the, the our main Evelyn, mm -hmm. like, Wayman frames it as you're the one who can beat her. Mm -hmm. But I really think the movie is more so you're the one who can who can be there for her, mm -hmm. who can support her. Um yeah, because the movie, even the 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 movie's climax does not take on a it doesn't take on a desire for defeat or destruction. It doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like the point is oblivion of of Jobu. No, maybe at one point in time it yeah. was for this character, but I think in that moment she's full of fear and doubt, and you see it in Stephanie Shu's face. It's just such a brilliant performance. Again, for the yeah. millionth time, I'll say it. Um, it's such a wonderful moment when you see Joy and Jobu kind of collide together and all the anxieties of Joy with this like crazy, wonderful, mismatched outfit mm -hmm. of Jobu's um, where you really see weakness in the character of Jobu and not in a bad way, in, mm -hmm. a, in a wonderful way, in a really vulnerable way um, where she wants to die. Like she's mm -hmm. not... It's not a big showy thing, even though it's obviously she's built this cathedral to the bagel and yeah. holds this great reverence. It's an end destination. Um, yeah, it's a until tomb. you get there, until you get there. And then you're staring it in the face and you're saying, wait, maybe I don't actually want this. And it speaks so much to so many people who've ever felt depressed or suicidal that you have an idea of, I don't want to live in the world. I don't want to feel the pain anymore. But then when you're in a moment, when you're like, do I actually want to do this? Mm -hmm. It's it's completely different than anything you ever imagined it to be. Mm -hmm. um, you're staring death in the face, quite literally. Um, mm -hmm. And for her to walk into it, mm -hmm. like she doesn't stop. She goes into the into the bagel, and for the this speech from Michelle Yeoh in the parking lot is mm -hmm. what gets. Jobu's hand to come back out of the bagel. Maybe it's like you said. Maybe there is something out there, some new discovery that will make us feel like even small pieces of shit. Something that explains why you still went looking for me through all of this noise. And why, no matter what, I still want to be here with you. I will always, always want to be here with you. So what? You're just gonna ignore everything else? You could be anything, anywhere. might not go somewhere where your daughter is more than just this. <laughs> Here, all we get are a few specks of time where any of this actually makes any sense. <laughs> will cherish these few specks of time. It's that 
uh, the love of a parent can be more powerful than this crushing weight of depression. Mm-hmm. And it's a story that I think a lot of parents need to hear as well. It's mm-hmm. wonderful to be a, a queer kid and mm-hmm. see this movie and say, I am seeing mm-hmm. um, there's a character in the world like me and has a path that isn't marred by death and uh, destruction, although mm-hmm. kind of destruction. A lot of destruction does <laughs> A lot happen. of destruction. <laughs> Just a few universes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it ultimately takes is a hug in a parking lot with your mom who has a punk uh, sweater. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's going to do it. Um, well, I think that is I, I, what I what I really appreciate about like the the bagel as image. And like you said, like this is a story about a, a girl who is at a point where she's past a threshold where she's okay with dying. And I, and and in fact, wants it, it seems. And I think finding a way to make the conversation around ideation in that way, and the fact that people just like, there are a lot of people who just routinely think of what it would like be like to not be here and perhaps not get to the point of acting on it, but suicide ideation is very common. And I think to present it in a way that makes it accessible, that like, this is a thing that can be broached. This is a conversation that can be had. This is not like something you have to panic and run away from. I think that's really useful. I agree. Um, And I think the perspective that we occupy of Evelyn, and we get all the messages of who Jobu is before we actually see Jobu, mm-hmm. before we actually know what Jobu is doing. Um, also, kind of feels a bit like waking up from a conservative nightmare almost. <laughs> I might be going off on one, and you can rein me back in. But the way in which they talk about Jobu, mm-hmm. like nobody knows what she's doing. It's the unknown. And they're right. so scared of the unknown. They want to destroy it. They say, this must be dangerous. Mm-hmm. As opposed to thinking, maybe this person's just hurting. Mm-hmm. You've been feeling it too, haven't you? Something is off. Your clothes never wear as well the next day. Your hair never falls in quite the same way. Even your coffee tastes wrong. Our institutions are crumbling. Nobody trusts their neighbor anymore. And you stay up at night wondering to yourself, how can we get back? The way they talk about, like, our institutions are crumbling. (laughs) Nobody trusts their neighbor anymore. And you stay up at night wondering to yourself, how can we get back? Like, that's a conservative Jesus, that's Make America Great Again. (laughs) That's Make America Great Again. That was Sarah Huckabee Sanders' State of the (laughs) Union response. There's this fondness for the past without considering, like, it was not good in the past either. Mm -hmm. And even in the past, like, Joy's still going to be gay. Mm -hmm. Like, you're the reason why my daughter thinks she's gay is such an interesting line to me. Mm -hmm. Um, There's this idea that without Jobu, Joy's going to be heterosexual and she's going to fit our idea of what a good Chinese daughter should be. Um, and that's not real. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is breaking down this whole kind of conservative idea of big, bad, queer girl wants mm-hmm. to destroy our systems with chaos and perverse anarchy. And it's like, maybe she's onto something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute now. Yeah. And <laughs> this line, perverse shroud of chaos, that keeps coming back to me. I'm like, sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> I want to learn more. Um. Well, I, I like I, what I, I like about you saying that is it reminds me of like um, around the sort of messy conversation around the movie The Black Phone when it came out and like, is this gay face? What is gay face? And I remember like you hadn't seen it and you were like, oh, is there a gay villain? Sign me up. Like, give I'm me gay so villains. Give now. me bad sure. gay people. Give me horrible gay people. Give yeah. me perversion. And I wish they leaned more into it in the black phone. Obviously, it would not have, like, it would have gotten <laughs> review bombed by conservatives like hell. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I want I want bad gay people. I yeah, want tell me what you want from gay the, villainy. That, like, as we enter into uh, the, the uh, tail end of this conversation, tell me what you want from gay villainy, Cyrus. I want gay villainy that has depth. And that's what I see with this. It's like, mm-hmm. there's a clear motive. Yes, she's a villain. Yes, she's doing bad things. Yes, she's killing people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's destroying worlds. Sure, sure, sure. But ultimately, like, 
nobody wakes up and decides I'm going to be a villain today. I'm just going to be a bad person because I feel like being a bad person. There's a reason. Like you are usually, I think. I mean, <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah, maybe I true crime Twitter will say, yeah. will say there's some true evil out there that I don't really want to engage with. Um, but yes, in general, villains, heterosexual or queer, like there's a reason why they're doing what they're doing. And mm-hmm. I like that this movie gives us that and lets us be truly everything. Mm-hmm. We get to be kind of the damsel in distress and the villain. Mm-hmm. We get to be a goddess and a axe murderer. Mm-hmm. Um, I want more like that. And so even if this is imperfect, mm-hmm. give me more imperfect. Give me more imperfect gay people um because none of us none of us are this squeaky clean image of these very heterosexual-esque <laughs> films with with gay people in them yeah like that's not accurate gay representation mm-hmm. um any gay person will tell you that <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. We're, we can be monsters and that's fine. <laughs> Straight people can be monsters and it's not, we're not painted collectively with a broad brush that we're all this way. Mm-hmm. Um, there is always something that causes something. Mm-hmm. Everything, every action has a reaction. And yeah, I just want to see more, more gay people kill people, honestly, too. Like <laughs> Me too. Uh, that would be great. Give me like... <laughs> They slashed them almost, almost was was doing it. Just like it was, it was on, it was teetering on a fence, and then it fell on the wrong side of that fence. But yeah, it could have fallen it the right side. Did. Exactly. We deserve bad gay people <laughs> as a culture. That's it. That's the exit line. We deserve <laughs> bad gay people as a culture. Thank you Incredible. so much, Cyrus, for coming on and going Thank long on this you. movie that I firmly believe is, to me, there's no close competitor for Best Picture. It was the most movie. It was the best movie. No movie tried to do nearly as much as this movie did, let alone try and succeed in as many ways as it did. So that's this is my Best Picture pick. I agree. And we'll also be rooting for it. My wonderfully imperfect Best Picture. Thank you, Cyrus, for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much to Cyrus Cohen. We have put a link in the show notes to Cyrus on Twitter, where you can keep up with their many film uh, writings and musings and thoughts and analysis. And if you haven't seen Everything Everywhere, it might be screening near you uh, as the Oscars approach. And, you know, they roll out the Best Picture nominees again, give you a chance to see it on the big screen. I highly recommend it. It's already streaming on Showtime as well. I just had a conversation with a friend recently who finally saw it for the first time. They were elated. They were over the moon. Uh, So treat yourself. Treat yourself if you've not yet to watch future Best Actress Oscar winner Michelle Yeoh give uh, one of her career-defining performances. And now we have one quick thing, as I promised. I've been on Pop Culture Happy Hour quite a few times at this point on NPR, and that's always so much fun. Uh, But this week, I had my first appearance on Morning Edition, and the good folks running the news operation over at NPR wanted to bring a little bit of horror zest to their drive-time conversation, and I'm so glad to know that uh, folks on their commutes... It's always funny being on NPR, because that's when you learn how many people you know listen at NPR in the morning, and... I, it was very fun to get text people being like, you were on Morning Edition. And I'm like, you guys listen to Morning Edition. Like, man, the reach, the reach of NPR. It's, it's actually truly crazy. Um, I think it's the thing that has actually given me the most legitimacy in my career as somebody who talks about movies is people from my life being like, oh, I heard you on an NPR show. So thanks for that, NPR. Um, but it, talk, it was talking about the intersection of horror and comedy, and um, we got into a little bit of the history of it. We talked about, you know, name-checked Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which came out in, I think, 1948. Like, horror and comedy have a hand-in-hand relationship that goes way back. And the reason it got brought up at all is because there has been, like, a, a delightful little segment of very irreverent movies uh either coming out recently or about to come out that are taking things that are like generally agreeable and sweet or perhaps precious and cherished to us uh, like Santa or Winnie the Pooh or bears. 
I think we all like bears and they're very cute. Uh, but on the on the occasion of Violent Night and of course Christmas Bloody Christmas coming out uh, around the holidays, and then Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey, the Winnie the Pooh slasher uh, micro budget movie mini movie that could uh, is about to start playing here in the United States. That is on the horizon. Then of course later this month we also have Cocaine Bear on the way. Uh, we just talked about the ability and the joy. Uh, that you have with horror to take where nothing is kind of nothing is sacred and and that can result in like dark and sad and violating and scary things of course um and you know those especially in the kinds of torture films that put a lot of people off horror at the start of the 21st century but then it also makes for a lot of good rousing fun it's it's fun to watch santa mow down a bunch of baddies with a sledgehammer it is fun to watch a mechanized robo santa go nuts on a town and seemingly wipe out like the entire thing over the course of the night like in christmas bloody christmas the trailer for winnie the pooh blood and honey you have the silhouette of winnie the pooh holding a weapon like standing in the backlit in the headlights of a car about ready to waste someone like that's worth laughing about and then we can all I think easily access the humor of a cocaine bear. But um, rest in peace to the bear, though. The real story it does end sadly in that way. But that's horror. It, it takes these things and it says, uh, I dare you to to work through whatever feelings you have about this this property, this idea, this thought, this, this treasure, um, this totem in your life and say, what if we set it on fire? What if we wrapped it in Christmas lights? What if we had it beat something to death in a sleeping bag. Uh, and I'm glad that I got to take that message and that history um, to the airwaves of NPR. So morning commuters, I hope that was fun. I hope you learned something. And I hope it made you look at the slasher in a new light and the relationship between horror and comedy architecturally, structurally. Uh, there's a lot to unpack. If you're if you're somebody who listens to this show, you're somebody who's taking horror seriously as an art form already. But if for some reason you're not, uh, hopefully every... One of these kinds of conversations is just another brick in the wall of a new kind of understanding. And that is our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod, or you can send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.